Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, my name is Laura. I will be reading Ecclesiastes chapter 8 from the World English Bible. Who is like the wise man, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command, because of the oath to God. Don't be hasty to go out of his presence. Don't persist in an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. For the king's word is supreme. Who can say to him, What are you doing? Whoever keeps the commandment shall not come to harm, and his wise heart will know the time and procedure. For there is a time and procedure for every purpose, although the misery of man is heavy on him. For he doesn't know that which will be, for who can tell him how it will be? There is no man who has power over the Spirit to contain the Spirit, neither does he have power over the day of death. There is no discharge in war, neither shall wickedness deliver those who practice it. All this I have seen and applied my mind to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time in which one man has power over another to his hurt. So I saw the wicked buried. Indeed, they came also from holiness. They went and were forgotten in the city where they did this. This also is vanity. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner commits crimes a hundred times and lives long, yet surely I know that it will be better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he lengthen days like a shadow, because he doesn't fear God. There is a vanity which is done on the earth, but there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. Then I commended mirth, because a man has no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be joyful, for that will accompany him in his labor all the days of his life, which God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on the earth, even though eyes see no sleep day or night. Then I saw all the work of God, that man can't find out the work that is done under the sun, because however much a man labors to seek it out, yet he won't find it. Yes, even though a wise man thinks he can comprehend it, he won't be able to find it. That is the end of chapter 8. This chapter inspired me to read it in several translations which inspired me to review Bible translations in terms of literal to dynamic equivalence to paraphrase and heretical. I have my own print version of the World English Bible, a New King James Version, a New American Standard Version, 
And I have read the English Standard Version, Young's literal translation, and the New English translation online. All of these, except for the NIV, fall into the more literal category. In each version, I read all the way through the chapter, and then I read side by side with the World English Bible a verse at a time. Interestingly, I didn't find the NIV any easier to read, possibly because of the comparative wordiness to try and get the meanings across. Now, recall that the World English Bible, the translation that I read from here on the podcast, is based on the non-copyrighted 1901 version of the American Standard Bible, as I explain in my post why I read the World English Bible. The translations that I am less familiar with in terms of their translation history are the English Standard Version, Young's Literal Translation, and the New English Translation. But I found an easy-to-read discussion about Bible translations on the website faithfoundedonfact.com, and I'll put a link to that, and it explains the history of the English Standard Version and the New English Translation. And then there is a brief description of Young's literal translation on biblestudytools.com. I also compared some of the things said in this chapter, chapter 8, to what was just said in chapter 7. What I experienced shouldn't surprise you. The word choices in the various translations illuminated each other. Since they each have to pick one way to say it, the comparison focused the meaning in ways that reading just one translation didn't. Such is the nature of words and translations. So, for what it's worth, here are my thoughts on Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Recall that the last section of chapter 7 is about seeking wisdom and, quote, the scheme of things, and that word schemes is being used with both a positive moral sense as associated with wisdom and a negative moral sense as associated with the evil schemes of mankind. Then after saying that his, the preacher's, search has been at least incomplete and then, because of that, unsatisfactory, he implies that one reason for this is mankind's continued pursuit of ungodly schemes. So then he asks, in essence, at the beginning of chapter 8, what is the result of wisdom inside a person's heart? The preacher has talked about wisdom as an outward defense against the schemes of other people. He's talked about wisdom as a guide to life's adversities and challenges. And he's even talked about wisdom as a frustration because of death and the wicked people prospering. Now he mentions how it affects your face, or you would say your countenance, which is a beacon of your heart and your soul. He says it makes a face shine. This reminds me of how Moses' face shone after spending time on the mountain with God, and Moses put a veil on it, not to hide it from shining just, but to hide that the shining faded. And you can see this explained in looking at both Exodus 34 and 2 Corinthians 3.13. So we have an interesting progression here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which includes spending time seeking him, praying to him, uh, meditating on his revealed truths. And then that wisdom results in a shining face, not just metaphorically, but it shows your soul shows on your face. Now, verse two, at first glance, sounds like an imperative to always do what you are told by whomever claims to rule over you as king. But notice a couple of things. 
first, the clarification is that if you took an oath before God to be loyal to the king, that's something I haven't done. The second is the presumption that you would only be contrary because you are avoiding something unpleasant. And verse 5 says, if you do what the king says, you won't come to harm. The implication seems to be that the king is only asking what is good, and we all know that's not true. And then finally, the third reason is the king is ultimately going to win anyway. So in the end, it is presented as wisdom to obey. It is a king saying all of this, which makes it a bit harder to take his unbiased advice. But he concludes this advice with acknowledging that no one knows the future and no one can evade death, not even by trying with wicked schemes. Where does he go with these thoughts? He goes to the idea that this kind of domination is sometimes harmful. And again, the theme that even wicked people are buried. I thought that the New English translation of verse 10 here was particularly helpful, so let me read it to you. Not only that, but I have seen the wicked approaching and entering the temple, and as they left the holy temple, they boasted in the city that they had done so. This also is an enigma. But I think in any translation, it is clear that it doesn't matter what the schemes of the wicked are or where they have come and gone from. It is all empty vanity. In verse 11, it talks about how delayed judgment on the wicked tends to embolden them. This harkens back to chapter 7, verse 15. However, in verse 12, even with no hope or reason given, the preacher admits it is better to fear God. When we go on to verse 13, it is hard to make sense of it compared to chapter 7, 15 and chapter 8, 14, both of which talk about the wicked prospering. I think what we have here is general principles, but then saying there are some exceptions to it. Also, maybe something comparative, such as if the evil people served God, their days would be even longer. From here, the preacher gives into his pessimistic merriment again. It is self-centered and only takes the moment into account. And it's oddly similar to the counsel of Jesus saying, don't worry about tomorrow in Matthew 6.34, but without the important parts about trusting and seeking the kingdom of God. Then in verses 16 through 17, which end this section, the preacher is again bemoaning that even if he never sleeps, he can't comprehend the work of God. Well, Isaiah 46.10 makes God's point of view clear. God declares things so that we will know him and why we should love and follow him, how we can trust him, how he holds all things in his hand. God is beyond our comprehension because he is God. He also talks about that. But he invites us to seek and to know him. He's not trying to be a frustrating mystery the way the preacher is talking about it. And if God is being experienced that way, it is only because our eyes are blinded by our own foolishness and self-centered hearts. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 